0: Hello, Mississippian abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, the podcast that talks Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, and I'm joined by Dalton Middleton, our Mississippi State writer. Lots to talk about in the program today. Our guest will be John Sokoloff, the sports director at WCBI Television in Columbus. Uh, folks, before we uh, get too far deep in the weeds, uh, I'll bring Dalton in. Dalton, how are you, man?
1: I'm Paris. I'm all right. I'm just uh, kind of hanging out today. Uh, Went got me a haircut. Now I'm getting ready to drive to Pearl, so it's uh cover some baseball. So
0: yeah, You got a haircut and you lost 10 pounds, man. You, you look really good. <laughs> no kidding. You, you young guys, man, hair is still a thing with y'all. Yeah, you, you know, it's just you reach a point where, uh, where it's just not that big a deal anymore. And I'll tell you, Dalton, I almost uh, – I I got going so far, so fast there at the beginning. I thought, man, I've got to bring Dalton in, but but, uh, I almost skipped over you. But it would have been a good thing because I was going straight to the Oxford Park Commission, our sponsor. Folks, we want to thank those guys uh, for coming along for the ride with Justify Your Existence. Lots going on at OPC right now. Registration underway for the mini kickers at soccer instruction for kids two to five years old. Two to five. Uh, That's led by Oxford High soccer coach Hunter Crane. Youth baseball and softball registrations are also underway. Uh, That runs through April the 4th. So let's get right to it and welcome uh, John Sokoloff of WCBI. John, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm
2: doing well, Parrish. Uh, You know, you and Dolan. I got to say, I've been here for about six months or so now, and I've uh, really appreciated how welcoming you guys have been. But, you know, doing well. It's nice out, and it's March. You know, can't complain.
0: Yeah, it's hard to be welcoming, man, during the pandemic when everything is is on Zoom. But I will tell you, I know you're still uh, new to the uh, area a little bit. Uh, but I, I know you came from Lubbock, I believe, but I don't hear a Texas accent. Uh, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of knew that uh, John Sokoloff was coming in because a good friend of mine in Lubbock, Randy Rosetta, said. Hey, look for this guy. He's pretty good. A big, tall, long, thin guy. So he'll be good for y'all. John Sokolov. So uh, give us a little background, if you would. Sure. Well,
2: before I do, Randy Rosetta, great guy. We actually uh, had a radio show together in Lubbock uh, covering Texas Tech and all the high school stuff. He's he's great. But I'm actually from a suburb of Philadelphia in South Jersey. And then out of college, I worked in Lubbock for about three years covering Texas Tech. And uh, came here in September of 2020, and it's uh, and I and I'm loving the sip. Even though I'm a Yankee, they've they've taken me they've taken me pretty uh pretty much so with open arms.
0: Well, the the Texas yeah, accent didn't didn't stick. I see.
2: Yeah, I know. It, it, yeah. It I, I've been told that I have like a, a Philadelphia or Northeast accent when I first started there, and then like a little bit later. Um, I'm not sure if it went away or not. I'm not sure if you guys hear anything.
1: No, not too much. Yeah, me and you were the kind of the new guys to the MSU beat, I guess, really this year. Cause you know, I was I've been in Mississippi, you know, that lives here. Um and I worked, I covered high schools. I was the high school beat writer for the during the journal the last three years. I took over in July. Um sure. and so you took over in September. We both kind of started near the same time. So yeah, me and you kind of the new guys on this beat over here. There we go. Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, John, were you uh were you at Ole Miss last night? I did not go over. Of course, I I covered uh, uh, through the magic and wonder of Zoom as as we are uh, as we are taking part uh, right now. But a big win for Ole Miss. Even though Kentucky is down, they've still been playing well. Uh, still a good team, a good SEC team, a team that was uh, trying to get in that uh, double buy for the SEC tournament that Ole Miss actually has a shot at now. Uh, did you what, what? What did you make of the game? Were you
2: there? So I was not there last night due to um, kind of trying to orchestrate our coverage between Ole Miss and also our high school coverage with uh, Jackson. Our Chris Bolton is there right now covering all those games. A lot of fun there, but that's a whole different discussion. I was covering the Ole Miss game remotely, and, and it was nice to kind of see them pull it out because it was a little bit of a seesaw in that second half. You know, it's good to see Devonte be back on track and then be able to close a game out like that because that Vanderbilt loss Parish was ugly. I mean, you look at a team that really hangs its hat on its defense and its ability to really suffocate teams with their ability to switch and guard. And that's really the pride of this rebels team. And, and then they give up 75 points to Vanderbilt and Kermit so frustrated after saying that they're off the bubble. So it was good to see them kind of get back on track because they're going to have to make a lot of noise in the SEC tournament if they want to really extend their season, for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, I, I do think they're kind of off the bubble. I would agree with Kermit's assessment there. This has been such a strange uh, team with those guys. I mean, a lot of excitement with uh, the grad transfers coming in. They really hadn't gotten anything out of Domencio Vaughn. Uh, Romello White's been, been good when they can knock down some shots and give him some space. But, uh, you know, so up and down, these guys, It's it's been uh, an interesting run. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit, guys. Let's talk about uh, the big news in Mississippi. Dalton, you and I hit this really yesterday uh, on uh, on the podcast, and then, then it kind of happened. It all happened uh, right, right after, right. It. and uh, the governor kind of moved it up a day, but restrictions lifted. Uh, let's start with you, Dalton. Uh, it's kind of – I don't know. It's, it's more than I expected. I thought uh, the uh, capacity limits uh, at uh, baseball would kind of be – phased in you know that maybe they go from uh 25 to 50 or something like that but it's uh it's it's wide open uh what's what's the feeling around Mississippi State with that decision
1: yeah I thought the same thing as you did especially when I talked to John Cohen last week um he told me kind of the same thing that he thought it was gonna be phased in you know um and he kind of expected with the he kind of incremented the seasons out like we mentioned yesterday with uh certain parts of the season trying to add more tickets um but yeah, they just go all out, and I think that may have that may have had a lot to do with the Texas governor doing the same thing earlier in the day. Um, and Tate Reeves saw that and decided to go all out as well. Um, but yeah, no, they I think this weekend they're looking to sell like four thousand sharebacks. I don't know, it's not going to be full capacity this weekend if they even play now. Um, but, uh, you know they're, they're outside of course now is just you know full go. So I imagine you're going to start seeing. You know, Swayze and Duty Noble over there, kind of getting as close to full capacity as as they uh, will allow here in the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, well, you know, we thought maybe we'll see that stuff happening this weekend, but now with the news with Tennessee Tech uh, postponing or canceling that series this weekend because of COVID, who knows now? So with with at Duty Noble,
2: I think uh, SI's um, Joel Coleman was reporting that he's thinking that a possibility is Kent State to come into. Um, to come into Starkville to maybe have that game again. That's just based on his reporting on Twitter. This is yeah. so fresh; I haven't even uh, looked into it, but that's what I've seen from there on so far.
1: Yeah, I was in the, when I got on. When I got on my haircut. I saw people tweeting about it. And I, I got home. I started looking at, it and I did see what you're talking about. Uh, Joel said that uh, Kent State and West Virginia series was canceled, so uh, they're talking about Kent State possibly coming to to the Starble for that series. And if, if they do, and if, or if they find another opponent, you know, then I imagine you might see upwards of you know there was about 2500 or just a little less this past weekend so maybe closer to 6 7000 maybe or 5000 something like that this weekend.
0: Yeah, I know I spoke with uh, Keith Carter last week of uh, the old miss uh, AD and, and of course uh, the ADs are eager. You know, everybody's eager to uh, get more people uh, as they can and and to do this in in a safe manner. But I don't think this happens like overnight. They might, you know, maybe the next weekend, but I'm I'm kind of interested to see what the series is like this weekend uh, for Ole Miss against Belmont, because uh, what Keith described was a, quote, layered process in, in getting back to normal with regard to tickets and capacity and, and protocols, there will still be protocols Now, you know, the governor's lifted the mask mandate, the schools haven't said that, that they have necessarily, you know, so we don't know what, what that part of uh, fans in the stands Will look like if they will still be required to uh, to wear masks uh, at Swasey Field.
1: I believe, I believe uh Mayor um, said that there's still a mask mandate in Starville for now. So I don't I don't know how that's going to you know correlate over to the baseball field, but for now in Startville there's still a mask mandate.
2: I, I think Parrish. I think you hit the nail on the head though, because when you look at like obviously yeah they're they're not just going to say okay the governor announced this all right boom flip a switch. Let's do it. I think they're going to carefully evaluate this and really just, you know, see all of the different components involved. And we all saw Keith Carter's statement yesterday talking about it, that they're going to evaluate it. So Parrish, it would be tough for me to kind of think that this weekend would be different at Swayze field. Now I, I, I could be wrong, but I mean, cause then, okay, now you got to release all these new guidelines and all of a sudden, all these new tickets are on sale. It seems like just a headache and it, it doesn't really sound like an accurate timetable, to get the the plans in place that they would need.
0: Well, and uh, for Ole Miss, it's not just baseball that he's working with. Of course, there, there are other sports as well, but you know, we, we think primarily in terms of uh, football, basketball, baseball, and, and women's basketball a little bit. Uh, but Ole Miss still has a home basketball game. So they've got to reevaluate that a little bit as well because at least for one game, they could go from 10% to 50%. But uh, baseball, of course, is is where most people's uh, focus and attention is right now. I think it'll look different uh, to some degree. My takeaways from uh, Keith's uh, email uh, late uh, uh, Tuesday afternoon were that he was planning correspondence with his season ticket holders and Ole Miss fans in quote the days and hours ahead so so he's planning on coming out with something fairly quickly and I haven't seen an update uh you know for that uh, this morning Wednesday morning as we produce but he was planning uh some communication fairly quickly with those folks uh he asked for patience uh so he's you know that that implies look this is going to take a little bit this is that uh layered process that he talked about and he also mentioned coordinating with other entities and of course uh you know in our uh, Facebook group Ole Miss discussion with Parish Alford um the SEC question came up will the SEC allow this what does the SEC say well uh Charles Bloom with the conference uh, told me last week he's their uh media relations uh, director that look uh, attendance uh, You know, at these individual stadiums within the conference, that's a decision of the schools in accordance with uh, uh, local uh, and state governments. So, you know, he indicated that the SEC was backing out of that. I don't think the SEC will back out of that completely. I really think that uh, the schools want to and will try to do things uh, as one. But look, this, this is different. COVID's different. The governors and the individual states make these decisions. Uh, Mississippi and Texas are kind of out in front on uh, lessening these restrictions right now. So it's it's going to be a little different.
2: It, it will. But one of the things that I was looking at is, is the luxury that we kind of have in terms of the timetable of the announcement is the fact that baseball is one of those sports where it's a little more flexible in terms that it's outdoors, a lot more seats, Uh, You you know, well, not more than an indoor arena like the Pavilion, but you you get my drift, a a big venue for outdoors. So it gives you kind of flexibility to let more people in there. Now, having said that, I was kind of thinking about it from the fan angle. Let's say that you want to go to these games, but you're still scared of catching the virus. You might be at risk, but you want to kind of toe that line and still be able to get out and support them. The, the last thing they want to do is show up and go somewhere where there are people within six feet of them the whole time. It's a baseball game. People are going to be screaming, you know, and, and it could be a very uncomfortable situation if the schools don't really look at how they're going to do it in a careful way.
1: It's definitely a lot to manage, and that's that's one thing that uh, when John Cohen talked to me last week, he mentioned, you know, we want to open everything back up. We want everything back to normal, but when you have the safety of people, other people's, in your hands, you know, you got to look at, it at a different angle. You got to kind of take it slower than you would want to, but uh, it is going to be tough to manage because, you know, you think about out there in the, you know, the left field lounge and out there in the outfield at, at duty noble, and there's just people stacked on top of each other in a normal, you know, there's normally, you know, thousands of people out there just stacked on top of each other um, on a normal year. And then, you know, if they just instantly go back to that, then, you know, those numbers that Tate Reeves that are plummeting will not be plummeting too much
2: more, <laughs> Yeah, right.
0: the virus yeah. hasn't gone away. I mean, this is about management and, and uh, living with it and just kind of – I think you got to ease back into it, and I think that's that's what we'll see. Hey, let's talk about uh, these teams uh, on the field. A lot of excitement. Uh, of course, Ole Miss, uh, a brief uh, uh, flirtation there at, at number one in the country. Uh, uh, what, what do you see, Dalton, from Mississippi State on the field? Uh, obviously a good start. Uh, what, what, what are their greatest challenges right now?
1: So the greatest challenges right now is they're they're not uh, they're not hitting as well as, uh, as as they would like to be. Of course, which I mean, you, you think of the opponents they've played. There's some really good ones, like the uh, Tulane. Of course, had some good pitchers. The Braden uh, Oldhoff kid, preseason All American, He comes out beats State. Um, but State's hitting about 260, I think, on the season. The only two guys are above 300. Um, and they've just, there's the, the lineup is so lefty heavy. You know, there's, I think, seven out of the nine in
2: the normal lineup are lefties. And it's That's just, so I, they throw a the left hander out here. What's that? Oh, no, I was just saying, I was noticing that too on, on this weekend. Yeah, they, they throw out a bunch of lefties. So it doesn't really provide much, doesn't really provide much, you know, of um, of an adjustment when you're going up against a lefty. It's not a great matchup
1: right the only adjustment i mean they, they can put brad Cumbus out there and he's a righty in there but like really the only person that can really adjust to it is rowdy jordan who lead off he's a you know switch hitter but other than that you know two right handers and then six lefties in the lineup and uh they have struggled against left-handed uh pitchers and you saw um when they when they won the sunday series against tulane this past weekend uh they they had a right-handed closer and the lefties kind of you know had some success against them but that and then you know they're still walking and hitting too many batters on in in the field, and then uh, Cameron James is really struggling in the field, but he's still young shortstop over there. Um, and then you know he's only got like probably 20 games under his belt. You know maybe 25 games under his belt in his entire career, and he's starting shortstop form, struggling a little bit in the field. But that's also you know you make one or two, and also your confidence down. You make another one, he's got to kind of get back up there. But those are probably the two biggest. Uh, probably two or three biggest weaknesses right there. They're just still walking and not too much command on the mound, struggling hitting against lefties and fielding a little bit.
0: Well, this oh, yeah. struggle to hit, man, is that contagious? Is that like COVID? Because uh, right. Old Miss has got that going on too. Uh, they hit a little better last night against uh, uh, Memphis, and they'll take on uh 16 runs, that's
1: safe.
0: Yeah, they, but 16 on 11 hits. You know, it's, they, they have not pounded the ball. Uh, like they did last year I mean you know I know they had a lot of talent returning a lot of depth there was a lot of excitement about this team offensively Mike Bianco told us hey they they hit well in the preseason they they really were ahead of our pitching and uh, they you know they kind of he kind of built up this offense but you don't take out guys like Anthony Servidio and Tyler Keenan and not feel it you know you're going to feel losses like that and they're feeling that right now and you know they need uh, some veterans to come along. Tim Elko uh, was hitting uh, under. Look, when he had that game-winning hit in Game Two, that kind of kept him from being swept uh, by UCF. Uh, he had that ninth-inning hit to complete the rally. He was batting uh, .095 at the time, which is which which is the width of the trimmer string that I use with my gas trimmer. It's it's <laughs> .095, and uh, so they they need some guys like that to come around. But uh, hitting has been the problem. 235 for the weekend against UCF. A little better last night. We'll see what they do tonight. And uh, Belmont's going to be a, you know, another good mid-major coming in this weekend. So we'll see if they can uh, take some steps.
1: I think uh, over the course of the year, of course, the teams are going to get better at hitting. But with you know the shortened draft last year only being five rounds, there's so many pitchers and so many arms in college baseball this year that would not be there if it was a normal year. And so the pitching overall is just going to be fantastic all year. So you could see hitting numbers be down for the entire course of the year. And, you know, we talk about the team struggling. That might just be the strength of the opposing team's pitchers because everyone's going to have a good few of them.
2: Yeah, that, that that's definitely right. And what I've always liked about college baseball is that this opportunity that these teams have to start out the year where they play these non-con games, and it's essentially kind of like a – an enhanced spring training, where it gives a chance to a lot of guys to get at bats, gives these coaches a bunch mm-hmm. of chances to let all these different guys throw a couple of innings to find their identity. Something uh, real quick on Mississippi State that I noticed that first weekend was, they went into Arlington missing a couple of arms, Dalton. Eric Sarantola, the day before we find out, one of their best pitchers who's gonna be a weekend guy for this team this season, we find out he didn't make the trip. And there was no injury designation either. This isn't anything I'm reporting, but if I had to guess, I would say it was probably a close contact and just had to sit by for a week. But that's just another cherry on top of all these unfortunate events that have happened for them. They already went to Arlington without a couple of arms. Sarantola, just when you're preparing for a season as a pitcher, then you just have a random week where you have to be isolated. That can't be any good. And then, you know, all these other guys are just trying to figure out their way. So it was good for, for Chris to kind of let them do so. But look at all these six games that they've played this year, Dalton. You got the three top 10 teams in the State Farm College Baseball Showdown. And then you have this past weekend Tulane, who Chris Lamonis called a tournament, uh, not a tournament, but a regional team. And and I think I believe him. So uh, on that end, I just think they're trying to really work out the kinks. But in, in terms of the positional battles they said they've had, I mean, what, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it really seems like everything's pretty set in stone besides maybe left field, Drew McGowan and Brad Cumbus kind of, kind of really, you know, debating for that spot. And then between the catcher and DH spot, Logan Taylor and and Luke Hancock will probably each be there. But I mean, it seems like they kind of know who they want to be. They just need to get those at-bats and that, um, and that experience.
1: Right. And they talked about the left field and third base position so much. And, you know, left field, I, I really thought it was going to be Braylon Skinner's spot, of course. Well, he's hurt. And you, you have these other guys that, you know, uh, you mentioned Brad Kumbis and uh, Drew McGowan are out there. And then that's not even including Brandon Pimentel, who played most of last year. Sure. You know, I think he started like 13 games up there. So there's a couple guys. But, you know, Pimentel hasn't played at all this year. You know, uh, Drew McGowan's been the guy. I think uh, Brad Kumbis has like six at-bats this season or seven at-bats. Yeah. Um, and third base has been Landon Jordan, and yeah, they talked about these position battles and how so many people are going to play, so many people are going to play, and it's really just been those two guys. And like you said, kind of been set in stone. So I don't know if that's just a product of them playing well, um, but you know they haven't they haven't had the people in the field that they want in the field where they've had the most position battles—not really battles, but I guess the most people show up is on the mound where they've kind of had Johnny Holstaff on there for three or four games this season.
2: Yeah, definitely. But Parrish, the one thing I was going to say to you is, isn't it crazy how things can just change in baseball so much? Where we're talking to Mike Bianco before the season starts, and in these inner squad scrimmages, all he's saying is, Oh, we're swinging so well, we're swinging so well, we're swinging so well. And then that first weekend against those top 10 teams, they're averaging eight runs a game. And then UCF, they have a couple outings where they score two, and he, like, the pitching takes the a back seat there where Gunner has 21 strikeouts in his first two. Uh, outings and, and Derek had seventeen through his first two. Like it's just crazy how much that seesaw can move.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you. It, even while they were winning the three games in Texas, I think offense was just okay. It was timely. It wasn't inning by inning, and we're going to extend the lead now. And boom, boom. It it was not what you would call dominant by any stretch, nor really would you expect it to be in that tournament on, on opening weekend. But it was it was good. Uh, UCF, uh, it was really erratic. They had 235 for the weekend. But but uh, you guys mentioned Lamonis uh, calling uh, Tulane uh, you know, an NCAA tournament team. I really think that a lot of fans right now in the area, in the state, uh, are probably uh, kind of taking for granted or overlooking the teams that state and Ole Miss are bringing in right now, the non-conference yeah. teams that they are playing, these mid-majors. You know, <clears throat> I really believe UCF would have a good team, not knowing anything about them this year, really, uh, except that uh, Warren Nolan had them at 13 in the RPI. I don't know how you factor that this early in the season. But these are teams that they're going to be NCAA tournament contention teams in their conferences. These are teams, UCF and Tulane, that have baseball history. So does Belmont coming in this weekend. Tennessee Tech, I know they're not coming to Starkville well now, but Ole Miss fans remember them from the regional uh, in Oxford, a sure. disappointing Ole Miss regional in 2019. There are a lot of good baseball players out there, particularly in the state of Florida, because everybody recruits there. You know, there's talent there. You know, those second-level teams, when you get past Florida, Florida State and Miami, those are still going to be good teams. So I think to a degree, people are overlooking the level of competition that these local teams are facing in the pre-conference schedule. Wanted to ask you, John, uh, having spent some time in the Lubbock area, uh, I'm a fan. uh, I'm a fan of Tim Tadlock, okay? Uh All right, and uh, I know that uh, he had already uh, helped that uh, team to kind of uh, help Texas Tech to a more national prominence in baseball, I think maybe before you got there, but certainly you were around him a little bit when we were talking about your accent uh, at the beginning uh, of the the program here, Tim Tadlock, man, I've never heard more Texas than than Tim Tadlock. And I was, you know, of course I was around him when Ole Miss and Texas Tech were in the 2014 College World Series uh, in Omaha. And I could just listen to him for hours. I could just listen to him go on and on. Seems like a really good guy too, but one of the things – that that stood out to me uh, in the CWS week there was uh, Father's Day came on the calendar that Sunday that we were in Omaha and they taped a few bits with uh, players and coaches wishing people a happy Father's wishing their dads a happy Father's Day and most of them would get on the screen there the big screen at the park and and they would give some kind of tribute tell some kind of story about dad and, and uh, anyway Tim Tadlock got up there. And it was like the camera caught him by surprise, and all of a sudden he just turned, and his his eyes got big, and his and his face lit up, and he said, "Happy Father's Day," and that was it. <laughs> but but it was that was one of the best memories of uh, of of yeah. Omaha in 2014. But uh, I, I think anyway, I just wanted to share that. I think he's a a, a fun personality to be around. What was your experience with him?
2: I got to tell you, man, he is as genuine as it gets, and I know uh, what I've noticed here is. Lane Kiffin and Yolette McPhee McEwen both love you know having those riffs back and forth with you Parrish that always kill me and uh after the podcast I'll have to send you uh one that I have with Tim Tadlock but a guy that was just always as genuine as as they come loves baseball I covered him for three seasons and um you, you know just just an awesome guy and uh right before he took the job and Texas Tech someone told him like you'll never go to Omaha and then like even in his first press conference there he said someone told me that and I told him we're about to find out and now he's been there like god 14 16 18 four times in six years so just a great genuine dude whenever I I would like do an interview with him for a story and then afterwards like we would just you know chat about baseball for for a while just a a great guy really
0: what, uh, what do you see in the differences between uh, baseball uh, in the SEC and the Big 12? Having been around both of these conferences now,
2: <laughs> the SEC—no uh, disrespect to the Big 12—but the SEC much, much more stacked. I mean, I mean, how many teams are in the top 10 from D1Baseball.com? I mean, every week it's different, and it's it's a bunch of them. Big 12 baseball—they definitely have their their sneaky teams that can always, you know jump up and bite you. The Oklahoma States TCU is essentially a blue blood program for college baseball and Texas tech is starting to, uh, starting to, you know, gear that way. And, and every other year, there's a couple of fringe teams that could always be in there, but the big 12 baseball scene is, is very good and, and was cool to cover, but there's truly nothing like the sec. I mean, I feel like you're never going to have, this sounds cliche to say, but it feels like you'll never have an easy weekend against any of those teams.
1: Right. And uh, I, one thing for me, you know, you mentioned from being up from being up north and coming down here when you're up there. Is it, I guess, a different um, different outlook on the SEC than I guess you maybe have now when you're down here covering it?
2: Um, I mean, here's the thing about like the northeast and I'm not sure how much time either of y'all have spent up there. But professional sports really take like a precedent over college and down here, college sports take a precedent over, you know, professional and that's just kind of how it is because you know what you grow up rooting for that's what you're always going to love and that's what you're always going to argue is the best sport so yeah the sec definitely still has the attention up there for college football fans because they all know okay like this is this is the real deal this is the epitome of college football right here. All these teams are always in the conversation. Let's make sure, even though we don't really have a set team, unless you know you're a Penn State person or whatever, we don't have a set team, but let's make sure on Saturday night or the Saturday at 2.30 on CBS or whatever, let's watch the Alabamas, let's watch the Auburns, let's make sure to check out Georgia or Florida or whatever. And, And now even, you know, When you have like a extremely marketable coaches in there, like the Mike Leaches and Lane Kiffins, those two teams definitely get attention too. But so the up north thing, uh, the SEC football-wise is definitely in its full attention for sure.
0: So when you you get out of, say, the city of Philadelphia and start to get to some other areas, you mentioned Penn State. uh, if, If you're down around College Park, I know that's a Washington suburb is there that much interest is the interest level the same for Maryland football when you when you get there when when you're at Rutgers is and and it's campus and a game day I mean what's what what are those things like at places like that
2: well I was fortunate enough to have a friend go to um he went to Maryland and I I visited him there a couple of times. It's only two hours from Philly. Everything on the Northeast is very close to each other. Um, It's more of a big 10 region than an SEC region because all those schools are there. But Maryland sports definitely have that passion. The basketball program has that history through the national championship that they got with Steve Francis. Football's had a lot of players do well in the NFL. So there is a big amount of passion for those teams there. Even lacrosse for Maryland is good too. So they like that there. Um, In terms of Rutgers, like Rutgers I grew up 45 minutes down the highway in New Jersey from you know New Brunswick and from Rutgers but the sports just aren't good like when your football program has been hellacious for all these years you know you're not going to have that following basketball they're starting to a little bit now but there's not really much of a Rutgers fandom unless unless you went there and even so you're not gonna you know that team hasn't done much to deserve your undivided attention you know
0: you know the pro sports market that you described. I think you you get a lot of that in the West as well, with teams in Los Angeles and and uh, and and in Northern California, things like that around San Francisco. But uh, someone described for me one time as uh, Oregon. Okay, uh, there in Eugene is is kind of this little isolated uh, bubble. It's almost like the the SEC or the Big Twelve out west, in the sense that. There is an enormous amount of support uh, for the Ducks from Eugene and the surrounding community. And the buzz and the feel on campus would be similar to what uh, they had seen on some SEC or Big 12 campuses. Uh, and, and they thought that was just kind of different there in the middle of really, really uh, in, in a conference that otherwise would be dominated uh, by pro sports markets.
2: Well, because that's that's because, you know, Eugene, and this is something that I learned about Lubbock to Parish. Lubbock is five hours from Dallas five hours from any big city. So the power five college that you have there, that is your protein in Eugene, Oregon, you're an hour and a half from Portland, right? So okay, you affiliate with the Blazers. But besides that, Eugene, Oregon, Oregon Ducks, those are your team. Football, they've been competitive in the last five years, especially with Justin Herbert last year, also with Mariota five years ago. So that is their pro team. So I completely understand it, especially in basketball with the Chris Bouchers and the the Tyler Dorseys and the Dylan Brooks team that made the Final Four a couple of years back.
0: Yeah, it is It is an interesting dynamic here when you talk about a college sports market and a pro sports market. And yeah, uh, you know, I, I hear this discussion going on in, in Louisiana a lot where the... The New Orleans people uh, think that uh, uh, that that Baton Rouge doesn't care enough about the Saints because they're all so into LSU, and it's just you know so just uh, interesting uh, uh, interesting times and things to talk about, folks. Uh, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence. Uh, we thank John Sokoloff of WCBI for being on with us today. We want to remind you to check out uh, our work, uh, Dalton and myself at Djournal. Dot com. Find that drop down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. We're on Facebook, Ole Miss Discussion with Parish Alford, Mississippi State Discussion with Dalton Middleton. Thanks for being with us, folks. Come back and join us tomorrow.